Welcome back to another episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast. If you listened to the last episode, you know that across the summer, we are talking with educators in order to explore how we can transform what we sometimes refer to as hard conversations to necessary dialogue. On this episode, I am so happy to have school leader, Ange Maloney. Um, okay, so hi, Tricia, thanks for having me. Um, my name's Ange Maloney. I'm uh, currently working and living in Hong Kong um, at Discovery College. Um, I'm the secondary vice principal, sort of mostly responsible for well-being, but kind of moving into kind of a teaching and learning kind of um, role. Um, my pronouns are, are, are she and her. Um, I have been teaching internationally for a while, uh, last sort of 17 years or so. And most of that time has been with my wife who works not at my same school right now, but at another school here in Hong Kong. Great, thank you for that. So um, the, the little summer mini series is really meant to hopefully inspire some educators to reframe, you know, often I, I hear people say like, you know, when we're having conversations about LGBTQ plus issues specifically, like, oh, that's, that's difficult or that's touchy or that's too political. Um, and I, I really do think the time has come for us to start reframing difficult conversations and necessary dialogue. And I'm going to ask you to just think back without your teacher hat, but when you were a student, what are some of the earlier memories that you can remember in terms of how you were taught to engage in complicated or difficult or seemingly political issues? Yeah, well, so if I think way back to my sort of elementary and, and, and high school, um, Catholic schooling, I would say that it, we definitely were not explicitly taught anything about how to engage with these conversations. You know, I can remember really, if anything, like how to avoid these conversations, how to avoid conflict, how to avoid getting into situations where you might have strong opposing, you know, uh, views or ideas about something. So, so I certainly... You know, even when it comes to things like, um, you know, changing school uniform, you know, I mean, long before I knew anything about who I would be, I, you know, I remember sort of fighting to, to have the option of wearing trousers at school, um, obviously, uh, early, early signs, you know, those, those, those signs that you look back on. And, and, and I remember that being a really, really sort of challenging um, conversation to have at school and just not something that was encouraged and just sort of like, let's just sort of ignore that for probably two or three years um, and never ever given any uh, kind of explicit instruction about how to do that um, for sure. I think it wasn't until maybe moving in, into college or even beyond when I actually got into a, a career of teaching that I sort of learned that there was a, a skill um, and, a, and a way to sort of manage these challenging conversations. So I don't remember at all. And that's direct contrast, I think, now as a teacher, I, I make sure that I teach students. Well, I try to think that I'm teaching students uh, how to have conversations that are challenging. And so in your ability as an educator to do that, did you, have you picked that up at all in professional development or, you know, do you have any examples of where as a teacher you were given some training and how to do that? Yeah, I think it's more moving into sort of, um, as I decided I wanted to become a leader and sort of taking leadership courses, I think, I mean, I've had, I've had direct instruction on having hard conversations. You know, I've been to a, a workshop, um, Jennifer Abrams runs a workshop on having hard conversations. So that's sort of the, the most obvious, um, I think, training that I've had. 
But I think in any kind of leadership training, you, you learn how to structure meetings or you learn how to create um, a comfortable space for dialogue, which then kind of either alleviates this sort of hard part of the conversation because conversations can then be kind of open and people um, are willing to sort of ask questions or challenge you on things. So actually you can, rather than having a hard conversation, you're sort of setting up an environment where the conversation is not going to be hard. You know, it, it might be personally challenging, but it's not hard in the same way as we think, you know, that we're scared to have the conversation or scared of the outcome. Um, yeah, so certainly I've had specific training uh, through adaptive schools and through um, Jennifer Abrams um, in the setting up structures so that you can have hard conversations. But that again, didn't happen until I was well into my teaching career, not something that happened as I was training to become a teacher. Well, and, and I'm curious too, and, and maybe this sounds sort of cynical of me, but I'll, you know, you're kind of framing the adaptive schools or the, the workshop with Jennifer Abrams, uh, you know, around having difficult conversations. And I'm wondering, did you get a sense that your peers were expanding that definition of difficult conversations to maybe social just justice issues? Or did you get the sense that they're more thinking of, you know, like the irate parent who is upset about a report card scenario? Yeah, that, I mean, I think that's definitely where that where it starts, right? And it's, you know, a, a teacher who is upset because of the timetable that you gave them or, you know, doesn't want to teach the class that they've been assigned. I think definitely when a lot of the books that you read and those workshops are about those conversations, absolutely. But I would say that that has shifted. My most recent, um, you know, work with Jennifer Abrams, there's a lot about having difficult conversations that are around um, gender and sexuality and race and, you know, a lot of these things that, that we want to talk more about, that we sort of pretend that we've been talking a lot about in schools. Our mission statement says we've been talking about it a lot, but we haven't, you know, we haven't been talking about these things. So I, I think that while the, the structure that you create and you set up in your meetings to have any, all of those difficult conversations, definitely the actual content of the conversations is changing. That, that's, that's really, that's a great thing to hear. It's, it's positive, yes, it's, it's nice yeah. to, have, to have hope. And it's hard to have hope sometimes. Um, it is, it is. If, your, if your career were to end today as an educator and you're, you're leaving that field, as you look back, what might you say has been your most profound, in quotes, kind of difficult conversation? Yeah, um, I keep thinking of the difficult conversations that I didn't have as being the most profound, you know, so I think about a couple of times when I didn't have the courage or I didn't have the skills or I didn't know I was maybe working in a place where the, the, the structures just weren't there to, to have the conversations with the right people. You know, I can remember working at a school, you know, we started in August and it probably wasn't until October or November or November that there was um, a female presenting at a weekly uh, school assembly. Now there are females on the leadership team, there are female students leading the school, the student council. There, you know, there was no reason that I could see, you know, that all of these people's male counterparts were, were at the front. And it wasn't until, you know, I, I really think it was late October that a female member of staff got up and addressed the school. And I sort of went, hang on a second, this is the first time that that's happened. You know, and, and I didn't have a conversation about that. And I think I, I keep, I look back at that and I think about that a lot. Um, now as a leader, making sure that those things don't happen um, or and making sure that if something like that does happen, there is a place for the teacher who not, recognizes that or the student who recognizes that to sort of, to, you know, to come and, and talk about it. Um, I think another conversation that I didn't have was, you know, we were preparing for 
school accreditation, a whole group of people, you know, from all sectors of the whole huge school, you know, patting ourselves in the back for our, you know, international mindedness. Mm. I mean, you can imagine the color of the room, you know, <laughs> like the language is spoken in the room. It's, you know, I was like, but if we look right here in this space, you know, we're not demonstrating international mindedness. And, you know, and, and that was another time when I, I didn't have the courage or that, you know, I, I didn't have the people to talk to really to make a, a big difference. You know, I think at that point there were people closer to me that I could talk about, you know, and, and then you just kind of create this kind of fire that just sort of burns and, and, and you know, creates angst and almost toxic and, you know, um, because there's no one to, to talk to about it. Um, you know, and I, so I think back probably those two perfect, like challenging conversations that I didn't have as being kind of instrumental in, in moving into a leadership position, trying to make sure that I'm creating, you know, opportunities for the, for, you know, for other people to have the conversations that should be had. Yeah. That's so interesting because it, it reminds me of a, a question that I've, I've tried to use with groups before around a school culture piece of, you know, what is it actually that your school is so good at avoiding talking about? So like, you know, what, what are kind of the big unspoken topics that you've gotten really talented at just kind of stepping back from entirely? Um, and, and it is really refreshing to talk to you as a school leader who's someone who is saying, like, let's not avoid that. Because, you know, as you say, that it kind of sticks with you, those, those missed opportunities. So for a leader or somebody who has ambitions to go into leadership, what advice might you give them for don't make that mistake, like don't miss that opportunity to have that, again, in kind of quotes, challenging conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts, um, it, it starts from sort of a relationship piece, I think. Um, if, if, you know, if you're coming into leadership, you really have to make sure that you are doing the groundwork in relationship building um, so that, you know, because your school might be set up in such a way that the, the sort of the structure or the hierarchy just kind of makes you as a leader kind of un unreachable. You know, teachers just have to go to the next person above them, um, you know, and, and those structures get in the way. So I think even if you have those structures, if you as a leader are actively engaging in just regular conversations with as many different people uh, in your school and you're creating, um, you're having comfortable conversations all the time so that when, you know, you, you, you have this open door policy, people feel like they can come in and they can talk to you about something. And, uh, you know, and I think so a lot of these hard conversations become just, they become difficult and they're emotional, um, but they're necessary and they're easier if, if you have relationships with your teachers, you know, if, 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 if people feel comfortable just talking to you, I think. So, yeah, I, I think, does that sort of get to that? It does, yeah, but it, it also makes me think, you know, I, I feel like I have worked for people who would say, well, surely that is the case. You can come and talk to me about it, anything. Um, yeah. When that, not, that might, you know, be that person's perception, but not necessarily the reality for others. So could you just expand on what might be some of the clues that that is that is the structure or that is the the sort of culture that leadership has cultivated that they are accessible that people do feel comfortable coming to them so somebody who's thinking oh that's that's definitely us what yeah. might you suggest they look out for to really test that that really is them i think something that you know i wonder if you could look at your own like reflect back on a week if you're a leader on your week how often, how much of that week did you spend in your office? 
How much of that week did you spend, you know, in classrooms? Uh, how many emails did you send that should have been a phone call or a conversation? You know, having coming back to school after, you know, we, we have come back to school for the last few weeks after being uh, off-site for about 15 or 16 weeks of home learning. And one of the things that we reflected on as a leadership team was, you know, just how much we missed the, the, those hallway conversations with people. When we were working from home, they became emails, they became WhatsApp chats. Um, there was sort of a frantic, like, urgency to reply to these emails. And, and it really increased stress. And, when, and what we sort of thought about was how different that was. That a lot of those conversations are little staff room side chats or popping into classrooms to talk to teachers. And so coming back in classroom, I'm really trying to take advantage of having people in the same building. And so not being in my office all day. If I, I get an email from a teacher who's, um, wants to talk about something, wants to talk about a, a, a uh, I look after a lot of the professional development. So a teacher sort of says, I want to do this. You know, I think before, even, you know, this year, I would have sent back an email and just sort of said, oh yeah, I think that's great. I'll sign you up. Um, whereas now it's like, no, okay, great. I'm going to come and talk to you about that. I think so having the conversations that are not difficult and having them face to face. So stop emailing all the time, you know, go and talk to people about things that are not hard. Um, be in, in people's classrooms, talk to your students when, you know, when they're in class. Um, and because, you know, I think we've all been in schools where you feel like the only way that you can talk to anyone of the leadership team is, is via an email, you know, and I think that that happens just because that you get into the busy parts of the year and you're just emailing each other. So I think wherever you can, um, have as many conversations as you can face to face, I think would help to sort of create that open door kind of feeling in your school. Mm, that's interesting. Cause I, I, you know, again, I'm just thinking a lot about what are some of the obstacles that are holding back schools from having that culture where things can be openly discussed, where we're not afraid of debate necessarily, mm -hmm. where, you know, it's totally okay for two colleagues to, to really kind of, say, I, you know, I want to challenge that idea or I want to question that way of, of thinking. Um, and I had never thought before about the idea that, you know, email is so convenient, of course, but that that might, that might be a real obstacle for people having more conversations at depth. Um, are there any other obstacles or habits or, you know, you've, you've mentioned structure uh, a few times. Is there anything else that you think schools should watch out for because you think this is going to hold you back from really having that deep level of dialogue where, you know, not only professional growth, but personal growth is possible. Yeah. I mean, the habits and, and the structures are, are, are huge. I think, you know, and I see it, I'm new in, in a school this year. Um, it's, and it's quite a young school compared to other international schools that I've been in. And, and at first I thought that that would mean that, there was, there was lots of opportunity for change because the school is still growing. But actually when you're, when you're so young, you really rely on the things that you did the year before because there's a lot of new things that you're introducing. So as many things as you can do the same, it kind of, it, it's easier. And so there are, I certainly have noticed that there are lots of things that we do the same that get in the way of challenging some things that need to change. Um, and, you know, I remember coming in uh, I wasn't really happy with the, the staff dress code. I mean, to be fair, I've been in American schools that tend to be a little bit more relaxed on the staff dress code. So even having a staff dress code was a little bit confronting. I was like, it's okay. I can handle it. I understand the cultures and the things that are, you know, this is all right. I can deal with it. 
but there was just a lot of unnecessary gendered language, you know, mm. you know, in it. And so I sort of made a decision that over at some point this year, I, I would address it. And it wasn't going to be the very first thing I did when I arrived. You know, it wasn't like I couldn't wear what I wanted to wear. It was just the dress code described what I wear in the men's option, basically. You know, men, you should wear this. Women, you should wear this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, I, and, and so I spoke to a few people about it as a, as a start in the year. You know, I get to know some people and I test the waters and people are just sort of like, yeah, no, well, you can wear whatever you want, but their perception was that that wasn't going to change. And so it was interesting to me. So, I, you know, I, I kept digging around, I kept having conversations and that wasn't the feeling that I was getting from the leadership team. The leadership team is, is new. It has changed a few times, but at some point there must have been a leadership team that was maybe adverse to change. And actually that, you know, was, was the, the, the story of change in the school and it, and it wasn't true. Actually, it was just not that long ago when I thought, oh, they're about to email the new teachers about the dress code. I don't want the new teachers to have the same feeling that I did when I got the email about the dress code. So I went and spoke to the leadership team and I just said, hey, I don't want to change the dress code. Can we just take the gendered language out? Mm. And they're like, yeah, actually that's, that completely makes sense. No one has ever asked or talked to us about that specifically. Now there's big people who want to completely overhaul the dress code. That's a different conversation. But I think what I learned from that was that there is some kind of, um, there was some kind of habit or some kind of belief that was not actually true. So I don't know if there was a fear or just some people had just sort of got, had been let down a few times or yeah. they had heard, actually what more likely they had heard other people trying things and that might've been 10 years ago. Um, so I, I think that it's important to, to, you know, to bring things up again or to, to, to ask the questions, even if you think it was asked 10 years ago when they said no. Um, yeah, because so something about the habits that were getting in the way of people's um, belief that things could change. Yeah. And I, you know, at the risk of sounding reductionist, I, I wonder if in that situation, fear might have just sort of been one of the, the key things that was holding, might have held someone else back from having that conversation. And I'm wondering, are you able to pinpoint what is it that sort of set you up to be able to have that conversation? Because I certainly think someone else in the same situation might be too intimidated to take that further. Like, I, you know, I think I've been in that situation where I thought like, this isn't right, but there's, you know, like a bridge to cross between this isn't right and okay, I'm going to do something about it. So is, are you able to sort of pinpoint what is the thing that made you able to navigate that and actually say, I'm not just going to stay silent. I'm not going to let this go. I will bring it up. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the advantage of just the leadership position that I have, the meetings that I get, that I get to be in and the people that I get to, to see in that decision-making process. And I sort of saw them make decisions and be very, very thoughtful about the impact on students and staff. And so I actually, could see that no they would be very open I think to this discussion so a teacher is not necessarily seeing that so I wonder if there if there's a way to increase the transparency to sort of um, to, there's there's still a bit of perhaps a divide between the teacher and our full college leadership team and to see how thoughtful they are and that they are looking out for the best interests of our students and teachers when sometimes they just sort of see this kind of timetable changes or right. bell changes or you know, uh, they're not really being part of those conversations. So, so I guess that, uh, that there needs to be an increase in transparency in that or, 
Yeah, I don't know, actually. That, that's a really good thing to think about is how I'm thinking of a couple of teachers who I had the conversation about um, and, and about with, you know, dress code. I've had similar conversations about our pride club, you know, and the, the leader who leads our sort of pride alliance group of students, he kind of carried the same fears about, you know, he's like, oh, well, last year we weren't really allowed to sell the rainbow cupcakes to the primary school, or I don't think we're allowed to put a pride flag up. And I was like, of course we're putting a pride flag up. This is ridiculous, you know. And I asked leadership team, and yeah, of course we're putting the pride flag up, you know. So there, it, it is a fear of having that conversation and then being told no will, will then stick with you. You know, I guess if you, if you were going to be so disappointed and so upset, if the answer comes back as no, you might just live with the situation. Uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I have definitely had that as a lived experience several times. And I think your point about that, um, that story being really transparent for staff, I think would be enormously powerful because I think when you work for a school and you know, we want to have the hard conversations, we want you to bring us the questions like, you know, please don't, please don't feel like you need to be afraid of our reaction. I think that's when change can happen much more readily. Um, you know, and I'm thinking of a situation, I was at a school and we had a, a guest come in for training and throughout his workshop, he kept making quite sexist jokes that, you know, again, it was the, the crowd of teachers didn't necessarily laugh along with him. Like you could kind of get that sense of like, we don't really think that's funny, but it happened several times. And I had that thought of like, should I say something? And my, one of my natural inclinations, unfortunately, I think is like, as a queer educator, I often have that maybe internalized homophobia. And I think like, I don't want to be the difficult person. Like, I don't want to be the one to create a problem because being one of the few on staff, am I already kind of de facto a problem? Um, and so a few weeks later, uh, in a casual conversation, one of my admin had brought that up and I said, you know, I was really upset about that. And I had thought about just kind of speaking my mind a little bit to the presenter, but I also felt like as just a teacher quotes, just a teacher, um, I didn't necessarily feel like I could do that. We invited him, we were paying him. Uh, and my boss basically said, Oh, I, I spoke to him and like two other members of the leadership team spoke to him as well. And I was like, you, you should be telling people about that. I said, because I really think, the sentiment in the crowd was like, I guess we're just going to let that go. And I think it's really important in your example too, that schools know we don't just let things, let things go. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, on that note, there is this cliche that I'm sure you've heard where sometimes schools will tell people, please bring your whole self to work. Um, and I, I, think as again as a as a lesbian I ne have not necessarily felt like I can bring that full identity to work and I'm wondering and you don't have to speak about your current school I don't want to put you on the spot there if you just want to think about various schools that you've worked at to what extent has that statement been true for you like you feel like sure I can bring my whole being to my job yeah yeah I mean I think that that has changed a lot over the last sort of 17 years um, and I've been working in international schools mostly um, and 
you know, I think that has changed, but also with my own comfort level, I think. So, you know, I think that they, they sort of have gone in parallel. Uh, and then when I met my wife, Sarah, and we sort of started applying for schools as, as a teaching couple, and then you turn up to school together, um, you know, then you sort of a little, well, not necessarily instantly outed. Um, we certainly had the, well, you guys live together. That's a great way to save money. You know, oh, that's, a, you know, are you roommates? You know, we, we certainly have still had those conversations, but I think over the, you know, more recently, I, I've extended that whole self to my students as well. I think there were definitely some schools where it, I, I didn't keep it as a secret. I was working with Sarah, um, teachers knew, but I, I didn't, you know, I, I perhaps kept it a little bit quiet from students. I, I made decisions to make sure that, you know, that, that students weren't necessarily aware um, of my own sexuality, you know, that I was lesbian or that Sarah and I were, were, were a couple. Um, I think more recently I've, perhaps, you know, just really flipped that on its head and gone out of my way to be very, very clear about um, my, my sexuality, um, about how I present, um, about my wife, Sarah, you know, I think, I remember when I uh, actually, and I don't mind talking about my current job, it's been very, very welcoming um, for me. And there are only a couple of very visible queer teachers. So I think there's probably still some work to do at our school. Um, but that's a little bit, I think, cultural as well. I think about some other teachers. It, it, it might not be about our school. It's about, you know, just sort of their own culture. But I came to the school and, you know, I was interviewing for the position and, and I certainly was not like the other candidates. So mm. I was very, very different, you know. And I think that part of me getting the job was that they wanted someone who, who wasn't like the other candidates, who was perhaps more like all of the candidates that they'd always sort of had at the school. And, and it was almost a... You know, I felt encouraged to, to, to talk about, you know, I, I didn't say, you know, my partner is working in another school. Like, I don't usually say wife, but I, it, there is a bit of a political statement by me saying wife, stopping people in their tracks a little bit to think about that or making them, you know, sometimes maybe it makes people feel a little bit uncomfortable, but I have got to the point where I just say that. Um, and I think school really has embraced that. And so I definitely feel that I'm encouraged and, you know, welcomed and actually encouraged to bring my whole self um, to work. I think there's maybe people who have been there a little bit longer. And I think our student body, we've still got a little bit of work to do. But, um, you know, I think our little pride alliance is, is growing. Um, and, and we're having a little bit more confidence to, to, to be more visible, um, to be more public, to work in, in collaboration with our other schools. But I certainly have felt, and at most of my schools, I have always felt like I could. It's just whether or not I was ready to. Um, but I, I don't think, I, I think that there are some other teachers who probably don't feel as comfortable, but it might not be about the school as much. Mm. And I, you know, I take your point about your school hiring you. And I think, you know, another kind of cliche that I hear all the time is, when schools are hiring, that they are looking for the quote unquote right fit. And I've always felt like, don't you want to look for somebody who's going to expand what the team is rather than just slip right into the fold of what is already in place? So I, I think that's a really nice endorsement of the place that you work if, if that's the way that, that they're thinking. Um, and just, you know, you mentioned that it was sort of your own personal comfort that maybe shifted 
is that just a maturity or transitioning into a leadership position? Is there anything else that you would say, like, this is what kind of flipped it for me? So I think it was, I flipped my thinking and saw my responsibility as more than just a teacher. You know, I sort of, I saw the queer kids in, in my classrooms who were not out, who were playing the game, who were me as a 13 and 14 year old who didn't have any idea that queer, you know, I was at this small country Catholic school. Um, you know, I had just no idea, no, no role models and nothing on the TV, obviously, you know, there's, I just had no idea that, that being a lesbian was an option that I had. It just didn't ever cross my mind. It was just, I'm just not interested in doing all of these things that like girl, all mm. the girls at school are doing. Anyway, so I see that, I fast forward and I see that in my classroom and I start to think, you know, like I've got a real privilege standing at the front of the classroom just as a teacher to, um, to, to help these students and be a, a role model. And so I start to present the way that I feel more comfortable and that's in masculine clothes. And I start to, you know, I mean, maybe I didn't start talking about my personal life per se, but I would openly correct um, students when, when, you know, they automatically assume that people are straight or, you know, where, um, you know, automatically assume gender pronouns and those sorts of things. I, I talked about, I mean, I'm not a maths teacher, so there's not an, an easy discussion, you know, but even if you're talking about probability and the classic textbook questions about mm -hmm. 50%, you know, if is it a boy or is it a girl? I mean, that's an easy way to say, or do we have to talk about gender like that, you know? And so having those sort of just little chats and just, you know, having that in my class, I think I became really intentional about that. Um, and so I guess I switched and I think we talk a little bit about politics. I did see that there was uh, an opportunity for, for me to sort of be really explicit in making sure kids feel comfortable and we have to talk about these things and it's okay to be who you are and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it's interesting because it is sort of when you boil it down, should we think of it as political to just speak openly about all the kinds of people in the world who exist? Um, yeah. If you're not allowed to talk about those things, but they actually associate with what's in your core values, then are your core values and are really present in your school. And I guess, you know, that that's when I started thinking about that line between, you know, our schools a place for, for political discussion. I mean, I mean, there's politics where you can talk about the US elections or something, but then there's the politics of what are your values that they're, they're going to get political, you know, and that my uh, heterosexual colleague can talk so openly about his own family but I can't. Well, that, that's political and that's part of my value system. And, um, you know, so I think that schools need to, and I school think schools do. And I think that when you get further into a career in edu international education or education, you get to be a little bit more picky about the schools you go to. So you, you're not going to go to a school where you maybe can't have those conversations. So that might also be why these conversations have been easier to have as I progress in my career, because I get to be a little bit more selective about the schools that I choose to work in. Whereas at the start of your career, you might just kind of get your foot in the door and then keep quiet and wear a dress or something. I don't know. <laughs> and I also, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I've got about the, the same number of, of years teaching um, internationally that you do. And I'm thinking back to those early days where I also just naively sort of thought, well, if it's on the mission statement, or again, as you mentioned, values, I feel like it's hard to find a school out there that doesn't say that they are about open-mindedness or uh you know being just 
globally competent or you know culturally proficient and i think when i was younger i would just take that at face value but then as i you know started to have a few more years underneath my belt i realized mm, no actually like you know there there are some schools that maybe say that they are about that but if you scratch they might not be um, and so I, I'm kind of wondering, taking advantage of you as a school leader, what are some of the things maybe that you would like, you know, just in a, a typical school day, and I know we've not just had a typical school year, but in order to really know that your school values are happening, what does that look like? If we're thinking again about that person who's just about to go into education, what do you look for? What do you listen for in order to test whether or not those values that a school might suggest they have, they actually are there. Yeah, I mean, that's a really, that, that's, I mean, that's the big question, right? I mean, uh, you know, and that's when people come to your school and what do they actually see happening? Okay, so our, our vision statement is, is grow, discover, dream. Um, I think that in the classroom, you, you see that, you see lots and lots of support for students academically um, and personally and socially to sort of discover who they are um to you know to to go on to universities or, or or post school adventures whatever they want to do but i think what what we want to do more is is exemplify that on our leadership team and our teaching team and one of the things we've been talking about recently along with most international schools is black lives matter um and you know i think we uh, i hope there's certainly a group of us at our school who are being quite reflective about that and, and self-critical. And I think that if we weren't open to that conversation, that would be a clear sign that we're not open to sort of grow. You know, we're talking about grow, discover, dream, where we really have a lot of things to do in terms of growth. And so I guess this is kind of an example of where I really wanted to start a conversation. And I was a little bit worried, you know, much like my, um, my ally in, in the queer um, alliance of the pride group, he was scared to ask a question in case it got shut down. I was scared to talk about um, race and Black Lives Matter in case somebody sort of said, well, oh, that's not something we have to talk about here. Because I think there would be people at my school who would say that's not something we really need to worry about here. Um, where obviously that's not true. That's not true anywhere. Uh, and so I approached a few people and then approached the leaders and I, and I talked to some people of color um, on, on our on our staff and just sort of said is it okay if I start this conversation um, and you know we decided we we're going to do a summer read so I sent an email out to the whole member all of the staff uh, and I said you know let's let's pick a book and we're going to read it over the summer and then we're going to talk about it when we get back and you know I sent this and I wasn't even sure if my email was going to sort of get through the filters because I was just sort of quite open about I am white. I want to talk about what it's like to be, um, what, what race is, what is anti-racism, you know, all of these sorts of things. Um, and the school was, you know, really, really open at least to this first part. Um, and, and I think that that, you know, for the leadership team to sort of do something when people were maybe scared to start that conversation exemplifies a little bit of our mission statement. Um, we are talking more and more about um, diversity. We're talking more about what it means for diversity. And, you know, and I think that maybe I've helped start some of those conversations. When you get diverse people in your leadership team, then diversity means something else. You know, I think that previously people would have thought the leadership team was diverse. There were men and women on the team. 
you know, and now it's sort of like, okay, well, how can we get some gender and sexuality diversity? How can we get some racial diversity, you know, on our team? So I think we're trying to, we're, we're expanding um, the definition of diversity as people start to understand what that means. I think I've gone way off the topic yeah. of what it means to, <laughs> to see the vision alive, but I, I, I guess something is, it might be easy to put it on a poster in the classroom. It might be easy to create an assignment in year nine humanities class that connects with the vision. I think you have to see the leadership team being bold and courageous and um, being vulnerable um, with direct respect, with, with directly you know, connecting with, with your vision statement. I think that's when you can really start to maybe see things starting to change. Mm, and I, I actually, I, I love that question because I'm, I'm trying to work on kind of a, almost like an audit resource for schools to help them understand whether or not people feel like there are necessary conversations happening or that necessary conversations can be started. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking again of, of what you just shared and just the simple question going out to staff, like how many times this year did you feel like you could start a conversation that you were a little bit wary of where it was going to go you know and just even a simple percentage of is it 30 percent of the staff who feel they can do that you know like i i'm thinking again back to schools i've worked at and i i have no idea what uh, the data would say but i think that might be really interesting and, and and quite revealing but i i think you know also you've mentioned several times just conversations where you didn't know you were a little bit worried and you did it anyway. And I'm wondering if you can point us to any resources that you have found really useful um, in helping to solidify that ability to say, no, it's hard, but necessary. So we have to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's the, some of them that I've already mentioned, you know, just sort of having hard conversations by Jennifer Abrams, the whole adaptive schools approach to, you know, to leadership. I think those things create they force you to, th to think about not just the conversation. And I think it, it comes back again to relationships. So you plan for any conversation like you might an interview or you might a presentation, you think about all of the what ifs, you know? And I think, um, so when I'm going to have a conversation about um, gender or I'm gonna have a conversation about sexuality or about race with people who I think might be either uncomfortable or completely just opposing views, or just maybe not, they might just might not understand. They might, you know, ignorant is, is a hard word, but they might just not have had the experience of having those conversations. I try and do a little bit of research and try, but that comes through that relationship. So before I'm gonna have a conversation with said person, I sort of think about what I already know about them. Mm. Um, so that, and then I would approach the, the conversation differently. So. And one of the things I think about and I would encourage people to do is, yeah, read all the leadership books and do all leadership things, but diversify your pop culture and diversify like the books and the movies and the podcasts. And if you can, if you can increase your empathy, if you can understand um, other people's perspectives or anticipate other people's perspectives, I think it might help with those conversations. Um, so if, for if we're thinking, I'm thinking about teachers in my school who need to have a conversation with someone and they know that it's going to be challenging, be prepared. You know, I think that people think that a conversation has to happen the immediate, the, the, as soon as you feel it, you know, and sometimes it does. Sometimes 
if you can, you need to call stuff out. You know, if you're in a meeting and you hear something that's racist and, and, and you can practice calling things out as they happen. But if you're looking for a bigger, maybe system changes or something, plan, um, practice, do some research and prepare for those conversations in the same way that you would uh, an interview, a presentation, a lesson. Um, you know, so I think that you do that by reading the, the, the leadership books, but you also do that by um, doing the groundwork and relationship building first. And you do that by understanding deeper people's perspectives, which you can do by making sure you're not listening to and watching and reading the same types of things, you know, understand where people are coming from and empathize with that. They might not have ever had a comment. They might not have met, ever met anyone who was gay. You know, I do think that I'm working with teachers who have never worked with someone who would stand in front of the school and say, Oh, my wife, Sarah works at another school. You know, I think that for some people that was, you know, people have said to me, that was pretty inspiring that you did that. And I was like, you know, the guy next to me that talked about his wife, you know, like those sorts mm. of things, um, you know, so, but it's important for me to think about that other people that I work with or students have not been exposed to these. What is, where are they coming from? What might their perspectives be? What might their um, perceptions be about the conversation you're about to have? So I think it's relationships and research and planning. Um, don't avoid, don't avoid the conversations if you can. I, I really I'm excited by you mentioning the pop culture piece. I think that's massively important too. And um, Nick Alchin, who is the the new um, head of East at UWC, we were having a conversation years ago, just sort of about some of the reflective questions that might help teachers think more carefully about their bias. Um, and I think he came. Out, I'll give him credit. I think he came up with this question that I, I think is genius. And essentially, it's you know, what is a piece of pop culture that you enjoyed years ago that now you kind of look at it much differently and just, you know, talk a little bit to why you look at it differently. And I, I think that question is, is really great because, I mean, anytime, I don't know about you, but anytime I see a movie that came out of the 90s, I'm like, oh, there's so much about that that's uh, just, it's not working anymore. Yeah, and I don't understand that our middle schoolers are just obsessed with friends they cannot get enough of it. They watch it on repeat, like they just over and over and over. And, and I mean, I watched it too when it came out. You know, I remember waiting every week and the whole family would sit and we'd watch it. But I don't think there's one episode that I can get through now without absolutely cringing and actual cringing at best. Most of the time, I'm just downright offended. Mm -hmm. I just, you, know, you know, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's a fun conversation to have. There's actually, um, Slate has this, it's called pre-woke uh, pre viewing, and they've got this um, playlist on YouTube. Friends is one of the examples that has people kind of go back and, and reflect, and Friends is one of the examples, and they just go through, yeah, how frequently just homophobia, transphobia, just sexism, racism runs rampant in that series. But you're right, it is such a popular show. And I, I guess I wonder, is that a good entry point for conversation as well? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it should be. I mean, I, I noticed the kids sort of watching it at lunchtime. It's not right, really the right environment to be like, hey, do you know how homophobic that show is? <laughs> when, you know, this new seven kid is like, I really don't even know who you are. Um, but certainly, um, yeah, I mean, it, it would be interesting. I don't know, actually, if there are any classes at my school that are, t that are talking about it. Um, that would be interesting to find out. 
Thank you so much for your time. I, I really, I feel like you packed so much insight and wisdom into the 50 minutes or so that we've been talking. And I just, you know, it really does give me hope that you are in, in school leadership. Um, I never once had, uh, you know, anybody who identified on the spectrum as part of my leadership team. And I just, I, I feel like that does send a really strong, strong message to the school community. Um, and I hope that you continue to just sort of spark those conversations and, you know, remind people that, yeah, there might be the fear, but that doesn't have to shut the conversation down. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been, yeah, really great to, to chat with you and to sort of think, um, think about these things in, in preparation for this chat. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm.